Pope St. John Paul II once said, the human being is single, unique, unrepeatable, someone thought of and chosen from eternity, someone called and identified by name. Welcome to the 30th episode of St. Dimness Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and a father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want everyone to know exactly how special they are, how important they are, and how much value they have in our families and our communities, no matter how dark the suffering of the present moment may be. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, at Catholic Kitty reached out and asked me to reflect on the tragic death of Father Evan Harkins, a priest from Kansas City who died by suicide on January 28th. It seems as though a lot of social media comments on the situation said things like, this means Satan won his life, or the devil forced him to do it, and so on. And as at Catholic Kitty commented to me in the DMs, it's so important to know that demons don't force you to commit suicide, although mental illness and trauma reduces your culpability, and that priests are just like regular people and have mental health needs too. You're going to get an absolute amen from me on this one, and let's start by praying for Father Evan that God welcomed him into his loving arms after his suffering here on earth and for everyone left behind in the wake of his tragic death. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hopping online to tweet or post something to Facebook that Satan won this priest's life or that the devil made him do it is such heartbreaking behavior in my opinion. Why is it that we have to have an opinion and a take about everything instead of just slowing down, acknowledging the real human suffering going on, the importance of praying that all might be saved, and just being a sister or brother in Christ to Father Evan, his family, and everyone else understandably shaken and impacted by this. It would be so much healthier for everyone everyone involved, including us, if we just showed love, the love of Christ. I mean, did Satan win? No. Satan doesn't win. Death doesn't have the final answer. As St. Paul says, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing. If you don't like that message, get mad at St. Paul, not me. It's Romans 8, 31 through 39. Check it out. Next, did the devil force Father Evan to take his life? I mean, I guess maybe that's possible, but in reality, there was most likely other factors going on. The reports from his family and his bishops note that he was having physical health issues and was suffering from crippling anxiety and had recently started a new medication which had the noted side effect of possibly increasing suicidal ideation. So sadly, that's most likely the culprit. All of this serves as a reminder of how important it is to have support around us when we're suffering, for us to work hard to keep people around us to watch us, guide us, and be there for us. Loneliness is a literal killer, and yes, even priests need companions they can trust to be there for them. Lastly, just about suicide in general, I'd like to wrap up with the catechism on this topic and explore its implications. We'll take a look at paragraph 2282 and 2283. 
grave psychological disturbances, anguish, or grave fear or hardship, suffering or torture can diminish the responsibility of the one committing suicide. We should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. By ways known only to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. The church prays for persons who have taken their own lives. In my opinion, and I want to stress that this is my opinion and not a church teaching based on those two paragraphs, there seems to be to be no situation of a person dying by suicide where culpability is not diminished. And because of that, I truly take the catechism at its word when it says God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. We have to pray for everyone we know who has died by suicide. We should never despair of God's love for them and his desire that they be saved. And we should never ever think that Satan has won because God desires that all be saved. And most especially those of us who are suffering, those who are anguished and those being tortured in the silence of their minds. Next, I wanted to touch briefly on the danger of receiving a mental health diagnosis and then attributing everything about our thoughts and behaviors to that diagnosis rather than realizing that a lot of it is just us being normal. It's so easy to do. We receive a diagnosis of major depression and start to see ourselves entirely through that lens as if it becomes our identity. When we're tired, wanting to avoid socializing or having a hard time focusing, we feel that it's because of our depression. Or let's say we've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and we have some time in our life when we get angry in response to something that happened to us and our family members say something like oh it's just your bipolar acting up get it under control well guess what people who have mental health diagnoses are just like everyone else we still get mad we still get tired we still get angry when we're hungry and it's not because of our mental health it's just because life is hard sometimes and the reason I think it's important to reframe certain things as normal is because over pathologizing ourselves can diminish our self-worth our hope and re Reframing more things as normal will help remind us that we're doing as well as we can. We're hanging in there and we're on the path to wellness. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to share a little bit about St. John Vianney. Born in 1776 in France, John was the fourth of six children, a member of a very devout family that was well-known for helping the poor. He became well-known after becoming a priest for his holiness and humility, amazingly spending 16 to 18 hours each day hearing confessions and giving spiritual direction to the long lines of pilgrims who would come. But how much have you heard about his depression? I'm going to read an excerpt from a book by Catherine Hermes titled Surviving Depression, A Catholic Approach. Though he was the most sought-after man in all of France, he seemed incapable of seeing the immense amount of good he was doing. He believed himself useless. He believed himself to have no intelligence or gift of discernment. It is as if God drew a veil over his eyes so that he could see nothing of what God was doing through him for others. He feared he was ruining everything and had become an obstacle in God's way. The root of John Vianney's severe depression was his fear of doing badly at every turn, and the thousands who traveled to ours increased his terror. He feared that the long line of penitents to the village church were a sign that he was a hypocrite. There was not a moment when he felt that God was satisfied with him. A great and profound sadness possessed his soul so powerfully that he eventually could not even imagine relief. 
I see St. John Vianney as one of the most powerful patrons for those of us coping with low self-worth, depression, and the overwhelming feeling that we're failures. He understands. He wants to help us, and he's there for us before the throne of Christ. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, so here's one written to Jesus by St. John Vianney himself. I love you, oh my God, and my only desire is to love you until the last breath of my life. I love you, oh my infinite lovable God, and I would rather die loving you than live without loving you. I love you, Lord, and the only grace I ask is to love you eternally. My God, if my tongue cannot say in every moment that I love you, I want my heart to repeat it to you as often as I draw breath. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. First up, Anonymous came by to ask, how can you tell if your flashbacks are real? I had a flashback to something I think happened, but I'm not sure. And I'm not ready to tell my counselor about it because I just cannot say the words out loud. This is a great question, and I hope everyone will stop what they're doing and pray with me for Anonymous that the Holy Spirit may provide the path of truth and peace in their life. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. What do we do if we find ourselves in a situation where a flashback comes and we don't know what to think? Is this a flashback of a real thing that happened? Is this just a daydream? Is this an intrusive thought with no reality behind it? How can we figure it out? First of all, we have to recognize that flashbacks are not easy to live with. They can be scary, overwhelming, and damaging to our feeling of safety. I think it's important to say flat out that flashbacks are real, by which I mean these intrusive thoughts and images are really coming into your brain, most likely triggered by something and are causing you real discomfort and distress. Now, it's much harder to determine if these flashbacks are related to real memories, precisely because our brain often suppresses tragic memories for our own safety and our own good. And since flashbacks can be a mix of memories and nightmares, a mix of things we've seen in media and things we've heard from our friends, it's hard to parse out what may actually be something you experienced and what may be a mismatch of other things you've come across. Two pieces of advice, trust yourself. Trust your instincts. Trust what you think about these flashbacks because you are the expert on you. No one knows you better than you do, and that's why it's important to trust yourself. Next, try to bring it up in therapy when you're ready and work with your therapist to explore the flashbacks, explore the triggers, and find healthy ways to cope with them. Whenever you are ready, take all the time you need, but know that you'll be covered in prayer from me and all of our listeners. Next, Courtney stopped by. I'm 52 and 32 years sober. After hitting some sort of wall in October, I began therapy. uh, Major generalized anxiety is a diagnosis I received, and I began taking Lexapro, which has helped immensely. After two weeks of starting therapy, my father died. I'm struggling to figure out this whole grief thing. Therapy started due to anxiety and the realization that there were some things in my childhood that were not great or normal, and that I haven't had a good relationship with my dad. I guess my question is, what does grief look like when it's a family member that you didn't feel emotionally close with? 
I do love my dad, but haven't really felt like uh, haven't really felt like he cared much about our relationship other than in a very surface way for over 30 years. This is such an important question, Courtney. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that you're not alone because this question about grief and the way that it works comes up again and again. Before we get started, let's ask the Blessed Virgin Mary to be with Courtney through her grief process that Courtney and all of us experiencing complicated grieving may have the peace of Christ poured into our hearts this very day. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First, I'm off the charts excited about your 32 years of sobriety. I mean, wow, how amazing. It's just incredible. I'm also really glad that you got involved in therapy for your anxiety and found it helpful alongside a medication that has given you some peace. It's just fantastic. At the same time, I'm so sorry about the death of your father. And even though it's complicated, I want you to know that your grief experience is absolutely normal. One thing that kind of stinks is when we get involved in therapy to work on something that, that's causing us suffering, the world, our lives, it keeps going on. And there's bound to be some really hard stuff that comes up, like a death in the family. And we just kind of want to yell at God, like, can you just chill out on the hard stuff in my life right now? I'm trying to work on things here. Can you just give me a minute? Of course, that, that doesn't happen. And as I said, life chugs along with all its beauty and all its pain. And so as I've mentioned before, it's impossible to know what our grief is going to look like before we're in it. Some of us will love our parents but feel distant from them, and we will experience very little grief when they die. And others of us will be in that same situation and feel intense, overwhelming grief when they die. Some of us find ourselves very close to our parents, and yet their death doesn't shake us all that much. And for others, we can be absolutely devastated and feel like we can't go on. Grief is mysterious, complicated, and so many uncontrollable factors and emotions go into our grieving process that it's hard for us to prepare. But thankfully, you have a therapist who can be there for you as you walk through this dark valley. And know that while time doesn't heal all of our pain and suffering, it does slowly begin to change it. And we just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Hang in there. Kelsey wraps us up. Can you talk about how to navigate conversations with Catholics who don't believe in taking medication because it is drugging your body? All right, Kelsey, but you do realize that you've tossed a topic in the hat that makes me have to work really hard to not get frustrated and upset with these people, right? So let's take a deep breath and start by asking for Mary's intercession and everyone who feels this way, and even more so for those of us who need medication but don't access it because of the stigma and misinformation and thus continue to suffer unnecessarily. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Okay, deep breath. Why is it that people don't question taking medication, getting proper treatment for physical health conditions like high blood pressure, cancer, diabetes, and yet they have this incorrect idea that mental health is somehow different? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because a lot of people think they have experienced mental health issues and pulled themselves out of it on their own, when in reality they've experienced a very minor mental health inconvenience. You're depressed? Well, I've been depressed before. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you've just been sad over something in your life, and I just got over it. You're angry. 
anxious. I've been worried before and I didn't need meds. My friends, mental health conditions need to be treated like physical health conditions. People should be encouraged to get the proper treatment for their mental health without stigma, without question, and without side eyes that seem to say, are you just going to drug yourself instead of actually working on your problems? I consider myself a pretty good therapist, but even I can't help a depressed person have more serotonin in their brains. I love to sit with and help people with bipolar disorder, but I can't help change their noradrenaline levels. Medication is sometimes necessary for our health and our well-being. And get this, do you really think therapy can be effective when you're so depressed you can't even bring yourself to get out of bed? You can't even feel motivated enough to take a shower? No, you have to have some motivation to engage in therapy and actually do the work that therapy gives you to challenge your thinking and start feeling better. And so obviously medication is sometimes needed to help someone even get to the level where therapy can be effective. And according to research, nothing is more effective at treating mental health than therapy and medication working together. It's better than therapy alone. It's better than meds alone. All the misinformation, all the ignorance around around what mental illness truly is leads to so much extended and unnecessary suffering because we've bought into the stigma around medication for mental health. And in terms of specifically addressing this issue with Catholics, I would remind people, as I often mention on this podcast, that the Catholic faith understands that God comes to heal us through others, through our priests, through our family and community, through doctors and helping professionals, and most profoundly through Jesus Christ himself. So sometimes when we're praying for God to help us through this profound depression we've been experiencing, the answer to our prayers may come through a doctor who knows a medication that will bring us relief. And we should consider that this kind of answer, this is an answer to our prayers. And it's more likely than just a miracle where we just feel better out of nowhere. So let me just step off my soapbox here and say this. If you're suffering from depression, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, OCD, or any other mental health condition, please seek out an objective professional to help you navigate the difficult decision of trying medication. A professional who understands mental illness, has seen people walking through the same symptoms you're walking through, and who can guide you to make the best decision for your health. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great stuff they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourselves to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.